0: Say the game is getting old, Monday morning and your coffee's cold, life is not what you want it to be, you need another chance. Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction, my name is Jay Izzo and oh man, I have got to tell you what, ladies and gentlemen all over the world, there are times when I get a book that I am so excited about, that I am so revved about, because I know it's going to be possibly one of the most important shows I will ever do in my life that is today's show it is one of those shows that we don't talk about it and we don't talk about it enough and yet it affects literally 100 percent of the population oh folks this book is so good it is called the dying art of leadership oh my gosh folks, I got the two brothers with me, Guy and Anthony Casablanca. They have written and I and I and I and I literally have written this. It is the quintessential book for leadership and dealing with employee grief. It is the quintessential. I don't say quintessential very long. I can't I can barely pronounce it. I can barely spell it. This is the quintessential book on leadership and dealing with employee grief, period. That is what I'm putting on my five-star Amazon review. It is that good. They are that good. This book is absolutely outstanding. You're gonna love them. We're gonna deal with a very tough issue and have a good time doing it. That's what I promised we're gonna do. But before we do that, let's do what we do every week, right? And I walk you through your training in the four areas of your life, right? Here's the deal. You know, the Special Operations Forces guys, that I have interviewed on the show, Navy Seals, uh, Green Berets, Delta Force, right? You know, they've all said the same thing: when you're under pressure, when you're under stress, when you are under fire, you don't ever rise to the occasion. What happens is, when you're that exhausted, you 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 go to the level of your training. Mm. And if you if you are not training every day in the four areas of your life, let me tell you something: when you're under pressure and stress, which we are, by the way, folks. The fact of the matter is, we're in a pandemic. We are under stress. We are under pressure. We are dealing. We are under fire. We are exhausted. That's why we have to be training in the four areas of our life. So what we're going to do today in in training four areas, I'm going to ask you about how you're doing on a scale of one to 10, one being miserable, 10 being outstanding when it comes to your training. And we're going to go through these four areas, and five is average in each one of these areas, right? So if I say physically, how's your training going? I'm not just talking about exercise. I'm talking about your 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 diet. What are you eating? What are you putting into your What are you putting into your body? I am also talking about the amount of sleep that you're getting. I'm also talking about the amount of water that you're drinking. Right? I'm I'm talking about taking care of the one body that we have. So if you were to value value evaluate yourself on your physical training in the past seven days what would be that number on a scale of 1 to 10? And then you have to ask yourself two questions in every one of these areas. The two questions you have to ask yourself is, one, why am I that way, right? Get real with who you are. And then two, what am I going to do right now to change that? And be committed to it. Maybe you're going to have to have an accountability partner who's going to say, hey, you know what? You know, I need you to hold me accountable to what I'm eating, putting in my mouth. Maybe you've got to tell, you know, all your people who you're living in your house, right? You know what? The chips are gone. Sorry. We're getting rid of the chips. I don't know. Right? But that's what you need to do, right? All right. So there's your first number, right? Your physical number. Second number is the mental number. My wife gave me something such so great. She said, You know what? So often we're mental loafers. What we what we what we mean by that is that so frequently what we do is we let people just tell us what we should think and what we should be. Right? Rather than being an active participant in our mental learning and growth, we just kind of sit in front of a TV and just let it happen. That's mental loafing. What I want to know in your mental training is what are you doing as an active participant to grow in wisdom and knowledge, whether that be in your person or whether that be in your profession or both? And on a scale of one to 10, how well would you say you're doing that? Are you reading? That's being an active participant in your growth mentally, right? There's other things you could do though. Anytime we expand our mind, you know what? Sometimes it can be something fun, you know, learning a new instrument, you know, learning a foreign language. Sometimes it could be a fun thing that we're expanding our mind and growing, right? But what are you doing if you were to evaluate your training mentally? How would you say you're doing actively increasing your knowledge, wisdom, and understanding in terms of your life and your person, your career? All right, so you got two numbers, right? Third number is the emotional number, right? There's two pieces to the emotional part of your emotional number, right? The first is how well are you able to control your emotions under stress, pressure, and testing, right? That's the first part of the emotional equation, right? The second part of the emotional equation is how well are you able to understand the emotions of others and truly and truly empathize with them. I love one of the things that both Guy and Anthony talk about in this book, is they talk about the difference between empathy and sympathy. Wait till we get there because I'm going to tell you something. Some of you are going to get hit right between the eyes. The question becomes, can you be empathetic, truly understand the emotions? Do you have the emotional vocabulary to truly understand what somebody is trying to convey to you? And then what can you do to control your emotions? Folks, every day we're under emotional stress in fact you have to you one thing that you have to understand is that you are always in complete control of your emotions you it is your choice of how you're going to respond you're 100% responsible for what you say 100% responsible for what you do and 100% responsible for how you respond period doesn't matter what someone does to you Emotional intelligence is about how well you're able to control your emotions regardless of what somebody says to you. So on a scale of one to ten, if you look at those two areas, how would you say your emotional training's going? And then finally the spiritual area, right? You've heard me say over and over again, right, that you know, being spiritual is not, you know, you know, going to church and then thinking about fishing. You know, being spiritual is going fishing and thinking about God. Right? The truth of the matter is, we're all spiritual. Whether you want to believe that or not, we're all spiritual. Listen, if you have any plans in your future, any plans at all, and you believe that they're going to happen, guess what? That's called faith. Because they haven't happened yet, yet you believe they all happen. That's faith. Right? And there's always something inside of us, something that we can't explain, science will never explain it, that can bring us to a sense of peace in the midst of chaos, or a sense of calmness in the midst of chaos, or a sense of joy in the midst of chaos. They didn't say happiness; they said joy. Two different things. What does that for you? And how are you training that? Is it God? Is it nature? Is it meditation? What is it? And is it working? Those are the four areas. Those are the four areas of your life. And you got to think of those four areas because now you got four numbers: physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You got to think of those as the legs of a chair. If if they're uneven, right, that means you're uneven. You're out of balance. And then you sit in that chair long enough, then what happens is our posture is, is not right. And then when our posture is not right, that over the course of time, guess what? We get worse. At the same time, if the chair is too low, we can't. It's not useful. We're no longer useful because we're sitting in a chair that's too low. It it does serves no purpose. So the whole idea is to bring the legs of your chair up to the right height, right? Bring them up together in balance. Speaking of two guys who um, are absolutely well-balanced and they're awesome, it is Guy and Anthony Casablanca. Guy Casablanca, uh, he is a duly licensed funeral director and mortician. He's earned his bachelor's degree in mortuary science from the Cincinnati College of Mortuary Science, and uh, where he was recognized for his technical skills and leadership. While formally training in the mortuary science and grief counseling, what makes Guy unique is that he has owned two businesses, consulted for larger corporations, and led teams, divisions, and territories of managers and associates for both privately held and publicly held Trump companies. Over his career, career he has dealt with countless families and extended family members in all facets of the grief process. You, you, you when you hear the numbers, they're staggering. Guy currently manages a funeral home in Loveland, Colorado, which is one of the most beautiful places on the planet, for one of the nation's largest funeral providers. Anthony Casablanca is an accomplished senior executive, having spent 31 years in various leadership roles. Anthony earned his undergraduate degree from Wright University, Wright State sorry, University in Dayton, Ohio, and a master's degree from Kettering University, formerly GMI. Anthony spent most of his years in leadership working at Fort Batesville Casket Company, a recognized leader in the funeral service industry, where he was the vice president of human resources and then vice president of manufacturing and logistics. Anthony uh, is the uh, recipient of the Human Resource Executive of the Year in the state of Indiana. And he went on to become a president of another subsidiary of the Brand Company of Companies. Uh, Anthony has spent his entire career studying the art of leadership with an emphasis on purpose-driven leadership principles. Anthony has spoken on several occasions at various funeral industry conventions and was featured speaker at the International Sales Service and Operations Meeting for a Batesville casket company and has conducted several leadership training classes for funeral providers. Um, after retiring from Helen Brand Incorporated. Uh, these guys are great. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show the Casablanca brothers. Guy, Anthony, welcome to A New Direction.
1: Thank you, Jay. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh,
0: listen, the book, I I, don't, I I can't sing enough praises about this book because the book is absolutely fabulous. It is simply one of the most important books I believe I've ever read. That is important not only uh, to us locally here in the U.S., but because we're in 73 countries uh, around the world, I think it is important because this is a topic that affects everybody, regardless of where you're at in the world. And it is grief. And you know, I've had a, the January has been a month of leadership shows. We've had a lot of leadership professionals on the show in this this month. No one has ever broached the topic of grief and leadership. In the same sentence, we have said things like, oh, leadership gives me grief, but none none of us have ever said, none of us have ever said, how do we deal as a leader? How do we deal with grief? Have you guys, I mean, I know you guys researched this stuff. Have Have you found very much information on this guy in terms of leadership and grief?
2: Yeah, you know, we, we did do a fair amount of research. There are some studies that address the topic. I'll let my brother expand upon those. But for me, it was primarily my personal experience as a funeral director. Uh, the vast majority of families that I deal with, when I follow up with them, indicate to me that they are moving through the grief process as I would expect them to. They're one giant dread, the albatross around their neck is returning to work.
0: Mm.
2: They're just not ready to go back to work, primarily because they fear what they're going to walk into, what mountains of work they're going to face, what things weren't followed up on. Um, the, the, The culture in general at their workplace may not be conducive to someone who is going through any kind of emotional trauma. So for me, the, the motivating factor behind the book was somebody, we need to talk about this. We need right. to address this because I'm coming across way too many people who are dealing with their grief in a healthy fashion, but work is a whole nother subject and they fear going back to work.
0: So, Guy, and before I get to you, Anthony, but Guy, sure. you have some staggering statistics of the number of people that you deal with in the course of a year. Can you... Can you, off the top of your head, I may have them here somewhere, but can you off the top of your head kind of give us an idea of how many people you sure. deal with and in what state they are in their grief?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, well, first of all, the the state in which that I am dealing with people really encompasses everything from shock, denial, and disbelief all the way through to acceptance because I will deal with that family through multiple phases of the grieving process as I try and help them navigate the unchartered territory of, of losing someone important to them, right? So I see them at all phases. I particularly get them coming in hot. Mm-hmm. This is fresh. This right. loss is, they haven't even had a minute to process it. And I'm in their house within an hour of that person passing, already starting the process of nurturing them through their grief. Um, On an average, I will deal personally with about 125 to 150 cases of loss per year. Each one of those cases has at least three or four family members who are directly affected by that loss, and I will meet anywhere from seven to ten or a dozen members of that extended family who are equally as traumatized so the exponential factor of the number of people that i am dealing with in a, in a grief situation is as you said staggering it will it it will reach 500 to 750 people a year easily
0: that's amazing i i, I said this before the show we were before we were uh, on the show i was i was i was blown away by these statistics because the truth of the matter is you see more people and are actually counseling more people than a licensed therapist in reality, I mean, you, 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 you. I mean, just because of the nature of your, the nature of your business is such that you can't help, but you're there. What are you supposed to say? I, I don't care. What are you supposed to say? You know what? Suck it up. Get over it. I mean, what do you? No, that's that's ridiculous. You, you, you have to care. You have to listen. You have to be there. The, and those numbers are staggering. So I mean, you know, we talk about people you know there is a there is a front line as a psychological professional there is a front line of psychological professionals and I will call you one that have to deal with the front line of the stuff that maybe we deal with later mm-hmm. right and i'm saying that from my perspective that you you have to deal with the front line of it so it's it's really it's it's unbelievable work thank you I'm well, going to jump, jump that,
2: that acknowledgement. I, I greatly appreciate that. That is part of why funeral services so misunderstood is uh, people think I deal with the dead when in fact I, I really deal with the living Absolutely. when someone love has died. So,
0: yeah, Anthony. Statistically, I know that you've run some statistics on grief. Uh, I think there was a number that you put out there, something like more than 17. Or one of you, I think it was you, said more than 17 million people a year are going to be dealing with grief. And that at, uh, at right now, as you, as the three of us are speaking, there are 47,000 people who are walking into work. More than 47,000 people walking into work right now who are dealing with grief. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, that's is that- that's
1: true. We um, in our as we began to do research on the book, which, by the way, from all things we can see, the feedback we've gotten from well-published authors, this is kind of a one of a kind book. Yeah. We we are doing some groundbreaking stuff here. Um, but back to your question, uh, those numbers are low, right, because I only tackle like a handful of opioid addiction and significant illness diagnosis, and the death of a loved one, and divorce, but the list goes on, and on, and on, and if you just take those handful of things, and you assume that only one person is affected by the event, then yes, there are 17 million people, 47,000 people a day showing up to work who are grieving, but when you really look at the whole list of things that you know, that doesn't include things like, like spousal abuse and financial crises right. and the pandemic and all of the things that people are dealing with. There have been some studies that say potentially maybe one in four people is grieving when they come to work.
0: Wow. That's staggering. Yes. that, that That's staggering. Now, Anthony, one of the things that you you both talk about in, in chapter two and the, entitled The Types of Loss Helping Leaders Understand That Not All Loss Is Created Equal. Different types of loss. Now, is, does it affect us differently, or is, is it that it lasts on? Because you talk about naturally anticipated and expected loss versus unnatural, unanticipated and expected loss, uh, you know, versus, you know, tragic circumstances. I, and I don't care, you know, Guy, if you want to do, you know jump in here too, that's fine. I don't, I, don't, I don't care which one of you wants to jump in on this. But, I mean, the fact that we have these... Is it that we, that we can expect something different as a leader from our employee depending on how or, or you know, depending on the loss or how the loss happens?
2: Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. And, and I think the, the, the larger point of that chapter is that a leader will have to exercise their analytical skills, their interpersonal skills, to find out where someone is in the barometer of grief, if you will. And what may appear as a very simple, natural, expected loss mm. may have underlying complexities that throw that person into a whole different category mm. of grief, right? We've all lost someone who is who, who we expected to lose. They were very old, perhaps they were very ill, um, And that that can be considered an expected loss. And you may look at someone else who's going through that that scenario and go, well, my my grandmother was 98 years old. She had cancer for 13 years. I I, I don't understand why this other person is so grief stricken. Did you not see it coming? Well, there may be extenuating circumstances buried within that loss that you will never know about if you don't have the courage Mm. to have an interpersonal dialogue with the person who's grieving to really find out because maybe it's not the loss that has them so upset. Maybe it's the fact that they're selling grandma's house. Mm. That's been in the family for 120 years. Mm. All your memories are in that house and it's going away.
0: Mm.
2: Those kind of complexities amplify the grief situation and if you don't have the bravery as a leader, to have those difficult conversations with someone, you may completely mishandle how that person
1: uh, is interacting at work. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, if I, could, uh, yeah if I could, yeah, go ahead. I could launch into that a little bit myself. Um, sure. So I think there's a couple of other there's a couple of other points in that chapter that are very important to leaders that we we highlight in the training. One is that the point of that chapter is no two people grieve the same way, right? Right. Um, you announce a reduction in force at work, so, or or forget a reduction in force. You announce uh, a major initiative that's going to change workflows. That will cause people to grieve in your workplace, and but not all in the same way. Right. And the reason is, as Guy was alluding to, if you think about it in very simplistic terms, um, the the level of grief someone feels is is related to the the closeness that they have, the relationship, the closeness to the relationship that they have to the event right The other thing that impacts it is the suddenness of the event right could I right. see this coming or not right? And the third thing which actually which actually um, operates as a as a compounding factor. Right. So if you put those first two things in parentheses, this third thing would be the exponential factor that you would raise the level of grief by. And that is you don't know what else is going on, the extenuating circumstances right. going on in someone else's life. So we announced this change at work and most of the people seem to be OK with it. But there's a handful that you're like, wow, I don't understand why they are so resistant to the change when they're really not. They're grieving. Right. And the fact may be that, yeah, you know, she's a single mom, and now shes you're talking about changing her work hours, and she doesn't know how she's going to deal with childcare. Right. It has nothing to do with whether or not she could see it coming, whether or not she was close, whether or not right. it's really going to impact her deeply. She's got these other factors going on in her life that will cause her to grieve differently and handle the situation differently than those around her. And leaders need to be sensitive with that. Which, by the way, is oftentimes why leaders will say people are resistant to change, mm-hmm. when in fact they're really not. They're just in a they're just grieving, and they're in a different stage of grief than mm-hmm. those around them.
0: I love that. We're talking with Guy and Anthony Casablanca. The book, uh, by the way, fabulous book, available at Amazon bookstores everywhere. It's entitled "The Dying Art of Leadership: How Leaders Can Help Grieving Employees Excel at Work." Fantastic. And you're listening to them here on A New Direction. Hey, everybody. i got these two great sponsors here on New Direction, right? One is Epic Physical Therapies. Look, look, I I use them. I love them. They're outstanding. I've been using them for years. Uh, Know the owners. uh, Heidi Andrew sites. They're unbelievably awesome. Look, whether you're recovering from an injury or surgery, whether you're suffering everyday aches and pains, maybe you have difficulty performing activities of daily living, maybe you're unable to perform the athletic activities that you're normally doing, maybe you're a professional athlete and you're just not you're just not you know doing what you normally do when it comes to your athletic prowess look the elite team at epic physical therapy they will provide you with a customized treatment plan tailored to your individual needs with their experience in rehabbing young athletes to elite professional athletes, that's right, they come in from all over the world, they they understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. So when you're ready for your epic relief, when you're ready for your epic recovery, when you're ready for your epic results, do not look any further. Just go to EpicPT.com. That's EpicPT, PT, E-P-I-C, P-T. Dot com. And Linda Crafton and Team Realtors, you know what? For 35 plus years, she has been in the top of the real estate game. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you how you do that. First of all, you understand that the number one focus is it's about the relationship and the memories. That's your, that's your focus. Relationships and memories, right? Every house has a memory. You just heard, you just heard the guys talk about, you know, Anthony just talked about, it. you know what? You know, selling grandma's house is a hard thing to do. Why? Because it's a memory. Right? And those memories, you know, we don't necessarily want to give up. Linda understood that. And that's the way, how she built her business 35 years ago and why she's still at the top of the game today. Because she understands that the relationship and the memories that you have in your home are just two fundamental, most important things that we can have in life. So when you're ready to sell your home, you ready rather buy a home, regardless of where you're at in the world. Start with Linda and Team Realtors. Right? Their clients say they are the legends of customer service. You need to find out why. Just go to lindacraft.com, that's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction with uh, Guy and Anthony Casablanca and their outstanding book, The Dying Art of Leadership, um, How Leaders Can Help Grieving Employees Excel at Work. And uh, we've only gone through just, you know, just briefly kind of giving us a little bit of a background into the whole thing. But I want to move on here because I think it's really important to be reminded, I, I think You know, I've talked about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Stages of Grief. I've spoken about it. And in in Chapter 3, you guys called the Stages of Grief, Helping Leaders Recognize the Connection Between Employees' Emotional States, Their Performance and the Stages of Grief, and How Leadership Matters at the Moment. Um, One of the things that we probably need to be reminded of is these stages and then there's the sixth you have a sixth stage that you talk about that i want to get into so um who wants to who wants to start off to talk about the the stages of grief who wants to do that anthony guy
1: no i let guy go ahead and take that one all right. that's he wrote that chapter so
0: all right guy so let's talk through let's talk through the stages of grief
2: yeah sure um most people are very familiar with the stages of grief we've seen them either play out in our own lives or theatrically uh, and there is a certain reliability to the stages of grief. Mind you, I think where most people go wrong is that they have always been presented to us in a linear fashion. Mm. And grief is not a path that we walk, (laughs) right? Right. It is rather an ocean that we are thrown around in. So the stages of grief kind of come and go. They pop up, they change, they revert, they jump ahead. It is a very tumultuous sort of set of circumstances to be going through the grief process. But by and large, what we are talking about are things like denial. Almost always uh, the first stage of grief is, is denial. Um, Then, then we kind of enter a hodgepodge, if you will, of depression and bargaining. Mm -hmm. Uh, I often see those two stages capitulate back and forth. Um, we will eventually reach acceptance through through a course of discovery. And I like to refer to the bargaining stage of grief, and I, I kind of want to focus on this one because it is the most undervalued and understated part of the grieving process. The bargaining stage of grief that, that most people are familiar with is that phase in which you're saying to yourself or saying to the people around you, if only I would have, or if maybe I should have, it's those turn back the hands of time thoughts that have us questioning the decisions we made and if there was anything that we could have done to prevent or change these circumstances. And there is a certain amount of self-discovery that comes with that stage that from the outside, we tend to glaze over. We tend to tell people, oh, you can't think that way. (laughs) <laughs> A hindsight is 2020. Don't don't put yourself through that, right? When the fact of the matter is, there are some there are some very pertinent truths to those statements. You're right. Maybe, maybe we should have gotten dad. Maybe we should have forced dad to go to the doctor when when he kept bailing on those appointments. You're right. Maybe we should have done that. There is room for personal self-improvement. In that stage, and people will bounce around through all the phases of grief, but they'll keep coming back to that bargaining stage because it's part of our inherent nature to address those things within ourselves to hopefully become a better person. Mm. And I think that's oftentimes overlooked, especially from the leadership perspective. We do, we, we don't want to we don't want to walk that path right. with a grieving right. person. And it's a sensitive path, right? You don't right. want to say anything that could potentially, with all of its best intentions, could potentially be misinterpreted as criticism. Right. But the self-criticism that comes in those statements is incredibly valuable. And I never, ever try and rush my, my, um, my grieving families through that stage. I let them sit in that stage for a little while. And I let them express themselves and get those thoughts out there. And I don't have to say anything. They'll make their own self-discovery through that process. So bargaining is, is really, really imperative. Typically then the sadness kind of sets in. This is what happens after the funeral service. And this is where the leadership part of it really comes into play. Bereavement policies by and large do not take into account the duration of grief. They only take into account the duration of the funeral process, right? Right. When that person returns to work, they are just starting. They're grieving. Right. And that's when they're coming to the leader, right? That's when they're coming to the meetings. That's when the reports become due. That's when their project is due, is right when they're starting their grieving process. right? Right. So that that is a very critical time for leadership to recognize that look just because you had your three to five days bereavement leave doesn't mean you're done with this right. it is only just beginning and the 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 work environment is seeing people come back in a very tender state perhaps as tender as i am seeing them come through my doors right because right, right. they may begin to relive some of these experiences. Because now the funeral is over and they've got the mental capacity and the mental the emotional bandwidth to really kind of start to process. And they're left alone with their feelings now. Right. The catharsis of the funeral is over. Everything has quieted down. and Now it's just you and your emotions. It, that's when they're coming back to work. Right. So, so that's a critical time.
0: So he, here's the thing. Like, I, so I use, the, I use kind of this acronym called DABDA, right? D-A-B-D-A. Right, is Dabda is how I always taught it. And when I was teaching psychology classes uh, in, in colleges and universities, I would, I'd say, you know, you got to know Dabda. You know, the problem is, is right, denial, anger, bargaining, you know, depression, acceptance. The problem is, is that we think then that that's it's going to be linear that way. That we go into denial, then we get angry, then. We, but it, it's it's not, is it? I mean, we we bounce. It's not a straight line. It's not linear. We literally can bounce all over the place. I think. The thing that you talk about, and Anthony, I think you talk about it too in a later chapter, is you know we have these bereavement pro- policies in our business that say three days, and a guy has already alluded to this and saying, but three days, they're walking into, they're they're expected to come back to work, and they're walking in numb.
1: Right. Right. And and bereavement policies only deal with death it doesn't deal with a cancer diagnosis or my father's right. been diagnosed with Alzheimer's right. or my son is no longer in school uh, because of the pandemic. And I have no idea how I'm going to work and take care of him. Right. Or her. Um, yeah. So it's not linear. In fact, I just, I, I just had an article published in CEO magazine um, that talks about how if you're There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, folks out there saying, hey, now's the time to look at your bereavement policies. And the point of the article was, if you're looking at your bereavement policies, you've missed the point. You need to be looking at your company's culture. Start there before you just write a bereavement policy that says, well, now we're going to give you seven days off or 10 days off or 20 days off. That doesn't matter. Um, And and so you don't grieve linearly. You go through all of those stages in the same day. Right, you're bouncing yes. around. It's taking up every ounce of mental capacity you have, and that is what causes the 75 billion dollars a year in lost productivity in companies if leaders don't step in and recognize that they need to be part of the support system for this person.
0: Right. Yeah. This is okay. I, I was gonna I was gonna bring it up if you didn't because that number. 75 billion dollars was staggering that we lose that kind of productivity due to grief. And I was not only blown away by the number but then, you know, this is the thing about the, the thing that, about you guys writing the, this book is because from guy from guy's perspective, we we need to really understand we we've got to stop trying to ignore this. Right? And then from your right. perspective, Anthony, it's Okay, and then we've got to do something about it. And by the way, I hope everybody around the world, and, and I have a lot of CEOs that listen to this and a lot of C suite professionals um, and business owners that listen to the show, I hope you heard what Anthony just said. This isn't about adding days, this is about a change in your culture. And I, I, I pray that you I pray that you heard that. Because if your culture is not changing, thinking about your employees in grief. You have a much bigger problem than just saying, okay, well, we'll just give them 30 days. No, that's, that's not the point. They still have to come back to work, and they still have to deal with it because they have to deal with you and people. Right. At the end right. of the day, I just, I, I just think it's, I think it's too fundamentally important to, to skip that. I, you know, I, I have known people who've lost a spouse. have friends who've lost a spouse, young. Maybe it's been, what's been two years. And every now and then they just get angry. They just, you know, you just, you, you, you hit, you accidentally hit the wrong button and they got angry. And I've, I've, I've seen it happen and I've had other friends go, oh, how rude was he? You know, it's been two years. This is the problem. Right. Right. You, you, you. You you have to forgive them for their anger. You have to forgive them for their bitterness. You have to forgive them for that because you don't know the depth, right? Right? And and they probably right. do need more help. Right? And this person happens to be, you know, a business owner and owns their own business. So, you know, I know you were gonna talk about this at some point, but you know, sometimes you're really alone as the leader with your grief. And people right. don't understand it
1: right
0: right this is a challenge that the point is that this is a challenging thing that we're not really dealing with very well and i know we want to ignore it but we we can't ignore it anymore we're in a pandemic for crying out loud people are grieving every day the loss of connection right yeah it's uh it's
1: it's a it's an it's incredible that it hasn't been talked about more. But then again, our society doesn't deal with this very well in general. We are a suck it up, get over it kind of society, and we are very um, we are very concerned, or we're very afraid. We don't know what to say to people, right? Which is one of the points we bring up in the book. Don't try to be overly profound, right? This is this is about this is about truly caring or the people you work with, um, regardless of the situation uh, that caused the grief. Um, And so between the way society trains us, the fact that it's not talked about, the fact that there are no leadership courses on this other than frankly, the ones that we we do, um, those things sort of all come together and make this a very difficult leadership phenomenon, challenge but one that is very costly, one that is very costly to companies because people are unable to concentrate. They're unable to do their job. And typically what happens is the leader doesn't address it until it becomes a performance problem. Mm -hmm. And then they manage the person's performance, which just adds to the stress and the grief and typically does not end well.
0: Right. Right. Guy, I want to ask you a question. Chapter six, I'm going to move through this a little bit. Um, the role of aftercare, um, underst- it's chapter the role of aftercare, understanding that you and your leadership are part of the aftercare process. You have seen it all, uh, probably in the course of a year, of some of the dumb things that we say to people as we're walking through that line. Um, and I know you've heard it all. And so, without putting you, without putting you too much on the spot, I went, I went, first of all, y- you make, I think you wrote this chapter, I think this is your chapter too, um. You talk about empathy versus sympathy. Can you help people understand the difference between empathy and sympathy? I think it's a really important distinction.
2: Yeah, yeah. It it is a very important distinction. Um, It's very easy to offer sympathy. Sympathy comes off the end of the tongue very naturally. It's, It's in very, well, empty statements like, I offer you my most sincere condolences, which is like handing someone a big bucket of nothing. Right. Or, or,
0: or Sorry, letting, but that's funny. It's true because it's funny. It's what we do. It is. In fact, I, I
2: have a steadfast rule with my funeral directors. They are never, I am never, ever, ever, ever to hear you utter those sentiments to a family. I offer you my most sincere condolences. Mm. You might as well just drop a sympathy card that you didn't even sign and mail <laughs> to them. Right, it, it's it's that void. Um, but th- those are those are the, so, some of the classic things that just kind of come immediately to to our our tongue. Um, are you still? I, I'm getting things popping up on my screen that indicate I may be disconnected. Are you still here? Yeah, me?
0: I'm, I, We're with you. Oh, yeah, we're good.
2: Okay, very good. Thank you. Um, so we we have to pick our words very delicately. And very deliberately, when we're communicating, our true sympathy—I'm sorry, our true empathy—with someone, rather than just the canned sympathetic statements. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Empathy comes from an exchange of communication. Empathy is tell me. Sympathy is here's what I'm here's what I'm throwing out at you. Empathy is tell me. Right. So we encourage a very active dialogue with people who are in a state of grief so that, number one, and I I think maybe the most empathetic and honest thing that you can do is admit that you have no idea what someone is going
0: through. Absolutely.
2: I cannot begin to imagine what you're going through. Right. Right. Tell me. Tell me what happened. Tell me what's going on. Tell me, is there anything that I can do to help you? And and look for those specific. Well, now do- we might have lost guy.
0: What do you mean? I, I've still got I still have him.
1: Jay, you still got me?
0: I still have you. Yeah, I still got I still got guy, and I still got. Anthony's frozen. Okay. There's uh, there Anthony. Yes,
1: there we go. I don't know what happened.
0: Yeah, there. You, Sorry. You, you froze up, Anthony. But uh, Guy was just singing along fine. You know what? Let's do uh, this. Goodbye. Let's let's okay. do let's do this. You know what? Hey, listen. You know what? You're listening to Guy and Anthony Casablanca right here on a new direction. Hey, listen, folks. I love my sponsors. You know I do. This, my sponsors have been with us for so long. Epic Physical Therapy is a facility that offers the most advanced, top-of-the-line equipment, including the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill. The Norma Tech compression sleeves, the game ready—you know that's my favorite, right? The ice cold water and the compression all at the same time to take out the swelling—it's awesome. They are—they are, they are trained. By the way, the folks there, the—they the, are—they're these the, the trainers, the, the physical therapists—they are certifying the most cutting edge, comprehensive treatments available: blood restriction therapy, dry needling, um, cupping—it's just to name a few. Look, folks, just start. If if you're you're on your way to recovery and you want some relief and you really want the results that you were looking for to get back to where you want to be, then you know what? Get your Epic Relief. Get your Epic Recovery. Get your Epic Results from Epic Physical Therapy. Just go to EpicPT.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, right? More than 35 years at the top of the real estate game right? They're privately owned and operated, meaning that they don't belong even to a national company. She is her own company. The beauty of that is, first of all, it's completely local. But the second part of that is that she doesn't have to be loyal to any one company. She can actually be friends with the best real estate professionals in your area. That's Part of her success. She's not locked in. She actually has made relationships over the course of 35 years with the best real estate professionals wherever you live, and will find the best real estate professional for you so that you can have the best service possible when it comes to selling your home or buying your home. And it's because, as I said before, she started with relationships, and that includes relationships with other professionals. So when you're looking for the relationship realtor, the 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 memory maker right, the, the, the relationship maintainer, don't start anywhere else, just start with Linda Craft at Team Realtors, and you can learn more by going to lindacraft.com, that's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Guy and Anthony Casablanca, their outstanding book, The Dying Art of Leadership, How Leaders Can Help Grieving Employees Excel at Work. Uh, we're talking with Guy before uh, we kind of Kind of had a little bit of a glitch, but we're, we're all back and everything is fine everything. I, I want to just, I want to quote you here, Guy, on something that you said. You said, empathy is related to someone's feelings on a personal level, making a conscious effort to truly understand their situation and not casting judgment, trivializing or downplaying their emotions and reactions to the circumstances. And then you said, sympathy, on the other hand, and this is the most beautiful thing I've ever read, is more or less being glad it's them and not you who's going through the grief. Absolutely. That was Absolutely. a punch yeah. in the mouth. I, I'm just telling you right now, because what you just said is pretty. What you just said there is pretty selfish on our part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, think about that. It. It. I, here's the person's grieving, and I'm making a selfish stand in my sympathy.
2: Yeah. 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 You know what I what I see oftentimes is people try and relate. Um, someone else is lost to something that they have gone through in their own life. And they'll go, I know what you're going through when my sister, blah, 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 blah. Right. And it's, it is well-intended, but what the, the the point that that is basically communicating is yeah, 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 yeah. You're lost, but listen to mine. Right. Right. So uh, that, that's why I said empathy really comes from a point of dialogue. Right. Sympathy is 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 one sided. Here I, I dish it out this way.
0: Right. Right. Right.
2: I throw I throw you sympathy. Right. Empathy goes back and forth. It is it is taking a humanistic approach to truly trying to understand where someone is coming from and what right. they are dealing with. It's right. much more convenient to dish out sympathy.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I th- this chapter th- this chapter was eye opening. By the way, folks, uh, just going to, to lay a few things. Here's his, some of the things that uh, he writes that what not to say. Don't say at least, mm-hmm. you know. Do not mention God. They're already angry at God, folks. Don't 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 play the religious game. Don't offer simple condolences. You hear him say that. Do not say if there's anything I can do because you know what the truth of the matter is. They don't even know what they need. Just j- do something. Right? That's, that's one that's one thing he talks about. Things that you should say, I was shocked to hear. I'm going to miss them so much. I can't imagine what you're going through. Um, I wish I had magic words to make the skull away for you. Uh, there's a lot of practical things uh, that uh, Guy has written in this chapter. I thought uh, one of the best things that he says in this chapter is, as a general rule, don't feel obligated to say too much. Correct. Yeah.
2: Somet- we have a tendency to over-emote yep. when, when sometimes... Um, the grieving person or the person who's struggling with any kind of emotional trauma just needs someone close to them to listen.
0: Yep. Anthony, this takes us to Chapter 7, Adapting Your Leadership Approach, an introduction to the model of adaptive leadership and integrating it into your daily leadership. And so let's talk about the um, adaptive leadership approach. Let's talk about some of the, char- the characteristics of the adaptive leadership approach. And what are we really talking about when, we, when you say adaptive leadership?
1: So... Uh, Jay, at the highest level, right, in its simplest form, adaptive leadership is recognizing the leader recognizing that um, that he can't manage, they can't manage people uniformly, right? Adaptive leadership doesn't just apply to grief; it applies to everyday leadership. Uh, and one of the traps that that many leaders and and especially new leaders fall into is they, they latch on to one leadership style and they apply it to everybody. And adaptive leadership recognizes that it's up to the leader to meet the employee where they are in their, in their development cycle. Right. So that's how it applies to every day. Right. Um, In the grief phenomenon, it is recognizing, if you think about, um, in the book, we have a diagram of a nine block, um, and on one axis is, is performance and on the other axis is potential. But this will work with almost any organization. However, organizations tend to uh, cluster their people or evaluate their people, whether it's skill and will or how and why, doesn't really matter. It will all work. But at the end of the day, an emotionally traumatized person, wherever they fall on that grid, is likely going to move down and to the left. And the leader can either expect them, the person, to leave their grief at the door, leave, forget about their emotional trauma, leave that at home, leave all your problems at home, right? I hear you, your wife's got cancer, check that at the door, right? We don't, we don't have room for that here at work. Or the leader can recognize that this is in fact going to impact how this person behaves at work, and they're going to be different, And I need to adapt my leadership style to help them through this and give them the space and understand and actually develop potentially some work plans to ease the burden that they're on while they're at work to help them perform, right? That is adaptive leadership without getting into all of the definitions and the five characteristics and all of that. It is really recognizing that people cannot separate their life from their work. It's up and it's up to the leader to adapt the way he leads those people or she leads those people in order to help them and give them the space that they need to, to balance what they're dealing with. Right. And in that balance comes their ability to excel at work while they're grieving right right it's things like you know altering work assignments and changing work hours and frankly it doesn't have anything to do with bereavement policies it has everything to do with just recognizing and being empathetic right demonstrating the empathy to sit down and say um hey let's talk about this right i can't even imagine what you're going through but I, but I want, I want to help and I, and the organization wants to support you. Let's talk about how we can best do that. That's adaptive leadership in practice.
0: So this is, this is the piece that I I found because this is, this is the, this is the leadership piece of, Mm -hmm. you know, the grieving employee, you know, this is the part, because I mean, I mean, I'm just going to, I'm just gonna. The characteristics that um, Anthony and Guy talk about are stewardship, trust, empowerment, collaboration, and communication frequency. Um, but the grid that you're talking about, which is this axis of high performance, low to high performance, and then low to high potential, yeah. when when they get when they're in grief, they're in that low low area. Pretty um,
1: so not necessarily. Okay. It could be that that somebody who's in the high high area just. They are going to slide down. They may not slide all the way down to low, low. Okay. They may just slide down, up, down one block and to the left, right? Okay. So now they're sort of in that medium, medium. At the end of the day, though, their performance is going to be impacted and potentially their their potential to move on in the organization. Right. And it's up to a leader to recognize that and help them through it. And in doing so, typically what has to happen is you will have to recognize that maybe you cannot uh, empower this person as much. Maybe you can't trust them as much. Maybe Maybe they're not gonna be able to demonstrate the stewardship of their role that they have in the past. Maybe you are going to have to communicate with them more frequently Right. And break assignments down for them so that they're not quite as overwhelmed or they're not dealing with so many uh, to- dos as uh, you know milestones or whatever the benchmark is for the assignment uh, to give them some space. Um, right. That's really what that is. People don't always fall all the way to the bottom, but their performance and their potential will be impacted by their emotional trauma.
0: So uh, I' I don't guy or Anthony it doesn't matter who wants to answer this. So, why is it such a big deal that we don't, you know, why we, I mean, why should we just, why don't we just treat the employee like nothing happened? Right? Because then won't that help, won't that help the healing faster? I'm, I'm asking this question knowing the answer, of course. But, yes. um, you know, yeah. but that's what we typically do. You know, you know what? We'll just kind of, you know, but you say don't treat the employee like nothing happened. Why is that important? And what should we do?
2: Anthony, well, first, go, go, go ahead, Guy. Well, uh, what I see oftentimes um, is there's a genuine liability issue for people who are showing up to work in a dire state of grief. And if you compound that by trying to glaze over it or ignore it, we're expecting them to ignore it. Um, that liability, there's an ex- there's an exponential factor there that just increases severely. If you try and ignore it and and it might be just as as simple as something as an email to the number one client of the firm got miscommunicated. Mm. You you had a did that shouldn't be a, that should have been a didn't. Right. And it could mean all the difference in the world to the client on the other end. And such a simple mistake because of a lack of concentration due to grief can be a huge liability if you're in a manufacturing environment the 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 liabilities of being mentally distracted are painfully blatantly obvious there there are physical serious safety liabilities that can pop up because you're you're glazing over this whole scenario you're not addressing it and you're expecting your associates to glaze over it as well that's what comes immediately to mind for me anthony you want to expand on that
1: yeah, so um, I can give you a couple of quick examples, actually. So we uh, we have a woman who has read the book and is a follower, uh, and she reached out to me and said that um, uh, her boss's suggestion to her was that the best way she could get over her grief of losing her dad was to get on the plane Monday morning and go visit her customers. And she said, I did get on the plane and go visit my customers, and it was horrific, and I couldn't tell my customers why I wasn't myself, and things just spread Spiraled because it got very awkward because she wasn't concentrating, she wasn't herself in meetings, she wasn't really contributing, and the customer realized it and noticed it and didn't know why, so they assumed she was she was the problem or that they were not valued any longer by by the firm. Um, uh, there's an example in the book of a truck driver that I used to manage who called one night and said that he thought he killed somebody that was an accident on the highway. Um, and I won't divulge the whole story, but turns out he was not at fault, but we refused to put him back on the road. Uh, and we knew that if we asked him how he was doing, he was going to tell us he was fine, but we didn't want to put him back on the road until he could, we could get him some closure around this situation. We were ultimately able to find out from the coroner that he did not kill the woman. Uh, that she was dead on the first impact and and he just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time with his truck. But, Mm. but he actually did not, did not kill her. Um, You know, at the end of the day, you can ignore it. It's what most leaders do because they think it's just best to let this person deal with it. But, you know, the person isn't performing well. Right. And, and we, we, can either head it off. We can either head it off at the pass and help, and be empathetic and compassionate, or we can wait till it's a performance problem and fire the person. Mm. You know, which yeah. leader do you, re- well, I would argue that is not, that is not leadership. That is, that is management, right? True right. leaders step in and recognize, right? right. Um, and people are dealing with a whole host of things, especially now, especially now there are so many compounding factors that are causing folks to be distracted at work. Right. And, you know, every single person we talked to in researching our book said either I was so glad that I was able to talk about my situation at work because it made it so much easier. Or they said, I wish I had been able to talk to my leader at work because it would have made things so much easier to deal with. So that's why leaders should should take action here and not just wait for the performance problem to happen.
0: Guys, we've been on almost an hour. It has come by so fast. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. It, it, unbelievable fast. I mean, this, this, this is amazing. This is amazing topic. We didn't even talk about the symptoms of denial. I mean, we kind of just alluded to it a little bit, right? You know, the gal who decided right. to get back to work, but the symptoms of denial are, are huge as well. Um, But I I can't – that would would be another show, I almost think, (laughs) before we could do do that. So, guys, the show is called A New Direction because we try to help people find a new direction and success in leadership in their lives, their careers, or their business. So I'm going to ask each of you one at a time, if you could leave the listener with a new direction based on your book, The Dying Art of Leadership, how leaders can help grieving employees excel at work, starting with you, Guy, what would be your new direction?
2: Wow. Um, my new direction would probably be that uh, it's tough really, Jay, to kind of narrow it down. Um, my, do, my new direction would would encourage people to have courage, mm. to be brave, mm. have the difficult conversations. Awesome. We don't want to have the difficult conversations. And that that is where a really – valuable leader will come to the surface is they're not afraid to have those tough conversations, especially when it means helping someone close to them. There is no more noble cause than helping your fellow man.
0: Love that. Love that. That's courage. I love that. Courage, courage. Okay, courage is the word from Guy. Anthony, what would be your new direction?
1: Yeah, so we, uh, Actually, in chapter uh, chapter 12 of the book, we, we talk about a gentleman by the name of Colonel Arthur Athens, yep. who I've had an opportunity to hear speak on several occasions. Awesome. And he talks about the three C's of leadership, competence, courage, and compassion. And within those three words are questions that everybody in the organization is looking to you to answer, right? Are you competent in what you do or are you learning? Uh, do you have the courage to do what's right as a leader, even if it brings negative consequences on yourself? And do you care as much about me as you do yourself?
0: Mm.
1: And what we try to do in our leadership training uh, is to to give those three C's to the folks that we're training, to the leaders that we're training, right? To give them the competence to deal with emotionally traumatized and grieving employees and to have the courage to lead with compassion. So those would be, to have the courage to lead with compassion would be the new direction. I would add the word compassion to the list.
0: That's awesome. Guys, you were awesome. Uh, thank you. Stay with me. Folks, this is the show, right? Um, wow. Powerful, isn't it? Right? Terribly powerful, right? The, important, the importance of this is is I can't un, I, I can't state it enough the importance of you as a leader dealing and dealing with the, your grieving employee it's a culture thing you heard that right they are awesome. By the way, you can find, you, um, there's going to be a blog post associated with this. You'll find their books. You'll find um, where you can find their leadership training. Uh, there'll be links back to their website so you can get in touch with Guy and um, and and Anthony as well. So please do that. Folks, you know what? This is the show, and I say it to you every week, right? Be inspired because when you're inspired, that means that you will inspire other people, and then they become inspired. And when they're inspired, they inspire others, and that can make this world an amazing place. I'm going to be back here next week with another great guest, another great book, and another great show. And as I say to you every week, ciao, everybody. Rest in peace, Larry King. Confidence and the answers don't make sense. Got to keep your hope alive. You got to know you can survive. This is your